please speak with your healthcare team before making any changes to your diabetes management. This podcast provides general information only and should not be construed as medical advice. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers only. Please consult the show notes and the product user guide for more information. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Beyond the Bolus. This time we're joining forces with our friends over at Real Time Real Talk. That's a great name, by the way. Did you come up with yeah. that, Sharon? You did? Yes. <laughs> it's a unique simulcast brought to you by Omnipod and Dexcom. I'm your host, Nancy Hanna, Omnipod's clinical services manager, and I'm thrilled to be joined by Cher Pastore, Dexcom's senior manager for clinical education and global marketing. Welcome, Cher. Thanks, Nancy. So we're delighted to have an exceptional guest with us today, Dr. Viral Shah. He's not only a board-certified adult endocrinologist and associate professor at the Barbara Davis Center for Diabetes, University of Colorado, but also a prolific researcher. His work investigates newer therapies and technologies to improve glycemic control in people with diabetes. Dr. Shah has published over 150 research articles and is well-cited. Welcome, Dr. Shah. Thank you for having me. Dr. Shaw, this is something that we do just to kind of break the ice and get the creative juices flowing a little bit. Icebreaker question is, if you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, who would that be? My kids. Your kids? Yeah. I, yeah? I travel a lot, so I generally miss them, and I feel like, yeah. How old are they? Seven and three. Seven and three, okay. At the ADA, I get only like about 15 to 20 minutes to talk to them, right? So it's like, yeah. We're excited that you're here. Today's episode, Diabetes Technology Dynamics and Clinic, aims to highlight the powerful partnership between Omnipod 5 and Dexcom. We'll delve into prescribing, training, and the ongoing use of these revolutionary tools. Dr. Shaw, you're one of the authors for the consensus recommendations for the use of AID technologies in clinical practice, which was published last fall. Congratulations on that excellent tool. I read it this morning, uh, saw a couple of familiar names of my prescribers from clinic. I'm wondering if you could share some of your practices and understanding the best time to initiate technology in a person with diabetes on an intensive insulin regimen. So when is the best time? Thank you. And so I would say that I'm a pro-diabetes technology clinician. There are enormous evidences to suggest that the initiation of diabetes technologies, such as continuous glucose monitoring system, early from the onset of type 1 diabetes particularly helps to improve the glycemic control and also to maintain glycemic control for over a long period of time. So at the Barbara Davis Center, since 2016, we are actually promoting the early use of CGM in people with type 1 diabetes from onset of disease. Now we know that there are even better tools available um, that, that includes the automated insulin delivery system, such as Omnipod 5. Such a powerful tool in managing diabetes and improve glycemic control and taking some of the burdens from people with diabetes in managing day-to-day -day glucose management. And so I think we, uh, particularly at the Barbara Davis Center, uh, believe that if you initiate this kind of a technology early from the disease onset, that will help the patient to have a really good control and also help to maintain that good control for a long period of time in reducing the complications. So we initiate technologies that includes the CGM and automated insulin delivery system whenever patient is ready. And I know, Cher, you had brought this up a little bit earlier as a question. What other technologies are you all discussing at Barbara Davis Center? Is it just AID systems? Is it other uses? 
aside from the typical CGMs, what else are you discussing? Yeah, that's a great question. And the diabetes technology includes continuous glucose monitor, insulin pump, or connected insulin pen, and the AID system. And I think each patient is unique. Each individual has a different preference, different need. And I think we have to discuss all the options with our patient. And depending on what the patient's preference are, we tell them to go for that system that really helps them to manage diabetes. Excellent. So Dr. Shah, tell us about um, what earlier initiation really means for patients. And I think if you can tell us a little bit about your paper, didn't you publish a paper on early initiation of CGM? Yes, we did. And so I'm going to again go back a little bit into that story that uh, during the period of 2013 and 14, we devised this concept that what if we initiate the continuous glucose monitoring system from the early onset of the type 1 diabetes disease? Will patient accept that? Will that improve the outcome? We didn't know at the time. So we had this cohort at the Barbara Davis Center that we followed and we showed over time, that includes the one year, three year, and now seven years that was published in Diabetes Care earlier last year. And we showed beautifully that people who initiate CGM from the early onset of diabetes do well. They have much better A1C than the people who are not initiating CGM from the beginning. And that is that A1C, the good control is sustained over that seven years. That's a powerful, right? I don't think that we need now, even more evidence beyond that to say that, uh, you know, that we should um, not initiate these technologies. I think these technologies have a powerful way to improve diabetes management and control, glycemic control in people with type 1 diabetes particularly. Can you just, t I think you told me before, but you have a very specific protocol, right? Like if they're in the hospital, they leave that hospital with a continuous glucose monitor, right? Based on what you set up. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct, and again, it depends on the hospital to hospital. The hospital has its own protocol, right? So sometimes we do have a patient coming to our clinic, new onset from a different hospital that may not be using CGM. But our aim is that if we see a new onset in our clinic, the patient, if it's willing to use the CGM, should go with CGM before they leave um, the Barbara Davis Center. And that's what we are doing for a long period of time. I'm curious, what do you do with patients that might be hesitant about starting technology? And specifically, you know, I would imagine not all patients are willing to leave the hospital with CGM. What does that look like in follow-up? What does it look like, you know, do you try to persuade them? Or is it more, well, I, you know, I've presented you with the facts and everybody is independent and free to make their own decision. What does that look like? I'm glad that you asked me this question because I do understand that a lot of people have a different preference, right? And when they have a diagnosis of diabetes, they have to learn a lot of different things. It's a different world. Some people have an anxiety, nervousness that now what's the world is gonna look like to me with having diabetes in addition to the other things in life, right? So I do understand. But I would just say that in my personal opinion and what I have observed in my clinical practice is there is a more of a provider barrier than the actually patient barrier. I think most of the time that we think that it's not a right time to talk about the CGM or pump or the AID system. But I feel like what if we talk to them and we are talking to them? It's up to them whether they want to accept it or not. And my experience so far is that I have not come across that many people who would say no to this technology. 
So I, I think sometimes it's our own inertia of like, oh, they are overwhelmed by a lot of information that we have given them in the hospital or when they are bringing, they are coming first time to the clinic outside the hospital. But talk to them and you will be surprised that how many people would say, I know about it. I, I, I want to go for it, right? Um, so our experience is very positive so far. And I think I feel like, and I want to give a message to all the providers that talk to them and let them decide whether it's overwhelming or they want to go for it, right? So besides that, besides a patient hesitancy, which it sounds like you're somewhat able to overcome, do you feel as though there are other barriers to initiating technology, whether it's early initiation or at any point? So initiating technology, are there barriers? And if so, how can you overcome them? That's a great question. And, and again, at the center that we work uh, with all these technologies, we promote the technologies from the early onset of diabetes. Still at our center, 85% of individuals, adults with type 1 diabetes, are currently on some form of technology. That means 15% are not, right? Now, I'm proud that 85% are on, but the 15% are not. What it means is that there are barriers, and that includes the cost. That includes the patient's preference about not having devices or something attached to their body. Um, or that the devices are not working for them. Maybe that they are an avid athlete, they wanna, you know, hiking and doing a lot of different kind of an activities and those kind of a devices are not working out best for them. So yes, there are barriers, but I'm gonna say, I'm gonna focus more on 85% where we are able to use the technologies and these people are happy about that. We are seeing really great outcomes with that. So yes, there will be a few individuals that they would say that they don't want to use the technology for those barriers. But again, I want to re-emphasize that the first barrier is me, including provider. So we should start talking to patients about the technology, give them all the options and let them decide what to do. So that's a great segue to my next question. And you mentioned therapeutic inertia and um, how there are still many providers who are not having these conversations with their patients. It's 2023. The Dexcom G7 has been FDA approved. We have other CGMs that are out there. Is this really a thing? Are there still providers that really aren't discussing, you know, technology with patients? That's a great question, and, and the way that I think that, let's, say, let's think about that, what's the penetration of CGM in patients with type 1 diabetes across the United States? So if you look at the T1D exchange data that was published in DTNT um, around the time of about 2017 or, or 18, about 40% were using continuous glucose monitor. That's it? Wow. Right? And these are the centers that are really a good diabetes centers, right? So my point is that even at the base centers, we are not there yet, number one. Number two, what about type 2 diabetes? We don't know. There is nothing like a national registry like we have done in a type 1 diabetes space that gives us an answer about that how many people with type 2 diabetes are using this technology, right? There was a publication in Diabetes Care, I think it is a slightly older publication that talks about that there are about 6 million people with type one or type two diabetes on a, some form of insulin therapy. Of course, type one is going to be an insulin therapy, uh, but a lot of type two, six million people, right? Now, if you think about the evidences, overwhelming evidences about using the continuous glucose monitoring in people with type one or type two on insulin therapy, everybody should be on a CGM by now, right? It seems, it seems clear. <laughs> yes, but <laughs> that's not there. So I think 
we need to do a lot to talk about CGM, promote CGM, insulin pump, continuous glucose, sorry, the automated insulin delivery system. And my job is to tell my colleagues that talk to your patients. You know, these are great tools to help. Well, not just that, but I think obviously a lot of the papers that you've published are helping with improved access and coverage and things like that, which can help get this technology to more people. So I know you're also working on that besides just talking to your patients and your colleagues. Uh, I would like to promote the technology as much as I can in a different forum, different ways. So can you tell us more about the exciting news for this new Medicare expanding their CGM coverage for people with type 2 diabetes? So what does this mean for those with type 2 and their ability to have earlier access to this technology? I'm so happy with this decision by the Medicare. It was long overdue because a lot of people with type 2 diabetes on certain drugs that causes hypoglycemia, for example, sulfonylurea, the people on a basal insulin initially, the Medicare was not covering continuous glucose monitoring system on those individuals. Despite that we knew that this is a great tool to help them to improve time in range and reduce the time below range. And finally, it's there. So what it means is that now it opens the door for a lot of people with type 2 diabetes who are at risk of hypoglycemia, having hypoglycemia on insulin therapy. That's a pretty broad spectrum of type 2 diabetes. Now we'll have an access to CGM to help them to improve glycemic control, reduce the hypoglycemia. And, and I'm, I'm sure that eventually that will lead to a reduced complication. I think a lot of patients with type 2 diabetes are followed in a primary care setting. So what do you think that this new kind of ruling will mean? Like, how is it going to affect the primary care physicians? Uh, that's a great, great question. And I 100% I agree that not just the type 2 diabetes. Um, there are statistics that says about 40 to 50% of type 1 diabetes in adult are seen by primary care physician because there are not enough endocrinologists in the United States to really handle that kind of a large volume of people with diabetes. And nearly 80% of type 2s, particularly on non-insulin therapies, are managed by primary care physician. So I think my colleagues in a primary care practice has a lot to do in this space. And I think it's also our role to really educate them uh, provide them an evidences of using technologies, both CGM and AID system, um, to improve the glycemic control in type 1, CGM in type 2 space. And I think with that education, we are, we are, we are reaching there. And I think the, the more they will use the CGM, they will feel the value of the CGM in improving glycemic control. And remember that a lot of payments are tied to how well these patients are managed based on various metrics. And so I feel like that may be a really good incentive for primary care practices to help their patients improve those outcomes, and those outcomes will lead to uh, better practices and reimbursement for them as well. And I certainly think the G7 was a big step forward to making CGM easier to use in a primary care setting, just because it's smaller and all-in-one and things like that. I think that was a big step. I agree, and I think we are heading in the right direction. Smaller devices, fewer steps, make it as simple as possible. And in engineering term, they call it the KISS protocol. Keep it simple and stupid, right? Exactly. And I think uh, with the technologies, we are getting there. And uh, G7 is in step of that, that 
I think most people would love to use those kind of in technology that is simple. That's excellent. So, you know, just to pivot a little bit, you know, we've discussed the importance of considering technology earlier on in, in people living with diabetes. Let's talk about one of the newer AIDs to, to the market. The Omnipod 5 has now been out for a year uh, and we have new real world evidence. Can you share any of the key takeaways from the data, especially things that maybe you've seen in your own personal practice? Sure. So, before I answer about the real world, let me tell the audience about the pivotal study, right? So in a pivotal, people might think that, oh, it's a controlled trial environment where we have the best patient selected. And would that outcome be a similar when we use this technology in a real world? And so real world studies are necessary to see that what we have seen in a controlled environment is true. Um, and so far now, thousands of patients are using an Omnipod 5. The data has been out now at the American Diabetes Association 2023 meeting. I would encourage all the audience to really read those great abstracts here. Um, and look at that. It's pretty similar as in pivotal trial. The mean time in range after the Omnipod 5 is 70% or higher. Regardless of the age, regardless of the sex, regardless of different kind of baseline characteristics, Again, what it tells, technology helps. And I think we need to talk more about our patients that use technologies. Can you give us an example or share a patient story of somebody that's maybe on Omnipod 5, or what these outcomes mean for the patients? I have many stories to share, uh, but in summary, I would say that, again, is everything perfect for everybody? The answer is no, right? One size do not fit to all, but a lot of patients who have used newer technologies, including an Omnipod 5. Some of them were reluctant to use, by the way. And now, we, you know, kind of we are like, try it and see. The biggest advantage with the Omnipod 5 is pharmacy product. You are not tied to anything. And I think that has become my kind of a sales speech for a lot of people who are a little bit hesitant to go on a technology is that it's a pharmacy product. Try it for a couple of days, month, and see whether you like it or not. These people are using it, there is no way going back. Okay, so it tells that people are liking it, people are loving it, and it's being reflected in a science in a real world study that look at the outcomes. Remember that part, you cannot achieve the good outcome unless the patients are using it. So if you see a good outcome, that means that they are using it. So there are multiple people who would say that, oh my gosh, why I didn't think about that before, you know? Um, so, yeah, a lot of stories, a lot of uh, uh, things that, and I'm sure there are a lot of blogs out there, social media, and, you know, people are talking about these technologies and how it changed their lives. And I can just share one of my experiences because I was in private practice as a certified diabetes educator for years. So it wasn't Omnipod 5, but it was Omnipod, it was Dash. And I would say it was, like, by far my patient's favorite, like it was their preferred choice. They selected, they loved Omnipod and they would select it a Dexcom G5 or G6 at the time. And, and I, I mean, obviously I think a big thing is the tubeless part. Like they really like that. So it's one of my favorite products. You know, I, I train the patients on Omnipod and Omnipod 5. So it's exciting to hear that what I have seen in my small, you know, small city of Boston experiences with the patients that I'm training can now be extrapolated to, you know, thousands of patients across the United States and that the real world data is actually matching what we're seeing kind of consistently. And that's amazing and excellent to me. Yeah, I 100% agree, right? Yeah. Um, you mentioned the pharmacy channel. 
Uh, you mentioned that that is one of one of your favorite things about the Omnipod 5 system. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, I heard you say that you're using that as kind of a selling point to your patients of, hey, just try it. If you like it, great. If you don't like it, don't get refills. <laughs> That's it. That's helpful from the perspective of the patient. Tell me why you like the pharmacy channel as a prescriber. Does it make your life easier? Does it help? Of course, in- right. Uh, we, we all, I don't need to like talk about how difficult it is to work with DME sometimes, right? We want to have a simple process where I can do a prescription, patient gets it. And less hurdle between that simple process is better for me, better for my patients, and I think it's better for everybody, including my staffs, because a lot of work, I don't do that. I have amazing people, certified diabetes educators and nurses that does a lot of work, and so if they get frustrated with the entire process, that's not good for my clinic, my staff either, right? So Pharmacy Channel helps us to have that simplified process of putting prescription in, less paperwork, less, uh, you know, the process of doing prior authorization. It's a simplified process. And also from a patient side, it's a less cost because the Pharmacy Channel and also no, no tying off that kind of a DME for four to five years, right? So I think there are multiple benefits to providers, to the patients, and everybody. And I do want to include, just for our listeners who may not be familiar, that Medicare Part D covers the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod 5 system. So even Medicare patients can get the Omnipod 5 system through pharmacy, where that may not necessarily be true for other CGMs, for other, definitely for, not for other insulin delivery systems, but also that that means that people with type 2 diabetes in Medicare can go on the Omnipod Dash system. Is that correct? Yes, I agree. And that's a big advantage there, right? So, Dr. Shaw, we're going to talk now a little bit about training and what it looks like in your clinic. And I think we're, we're, we're going to specifically talk about the Omnipod 5. So, Omnipod 5 with Dexcom G6. So, what does it look like? And if a patient is new to CGM or new to technology, what does the journey in your clinic look like for you to start them? Do you start with Dexcom first? How does it go? So it depends. So let's say, for example, if I see a new onset type 1, um, then I would prefer to start with the continuous glucose monitoring first. That includes the Dexcom G6, G7, or other CGM, depending on the patient preference. And then over time, um, I, I always, at every visit, so I ask the patient, that, are you ready? to upgrade your technology, that means a newer generation, insulin pump, automated insulin delivery system. And from my perspective, whenever the patients are ready, I'm always ready to prescribe that part, right? Patient who is referred to me uh, already on a multiple daily injection or type 2 diabetes, uh, you know, in that kind of patient is already on a CGM and that kind of a therapy. And if I think that this patient would benefit greatly to use Omnipod 5, I bring up that point upfront, discuss all these options available for automated insulin delivery system. And when, again, up to patient. When the patient is ready, I'm always ready. And you know, I'll say that uh, we at Insulate, because I, I'm training the patients, uh, I love and I always prefer, and, and I try to encourage patients as much as possible, please start on the Dexcom first. Um, that'll make things much more streamlined and easy. It doesn't mean that we can't do it the other way and start with Omnipod 5 uh, first, but if a patient comes to us already wearing a Dexcom G6, we can start them on the Omnipod 5 right away and jump right into automated mode, which is 
fantastic. I, I agree. And uh, recently I do see a trend uh, that even a new onset type 1 diabetes that I see within a week or two or three, uh, these people are ready because they read, they learn from their peers. And very recent example about a couple of uh, months back, uh, I saw a new onset type 1 diabetes patient. We started on a CGM and I said that we're gonna, we, I'm open to you know, AID system whenever you are ready. Generally, we see them within a week or two because it's a new onset. We want to make sure that they are being educated. There is a lot of learning that goes into that part. Patient had to figure out a lot of stuff. By second visit, this person was ready. And we were ready. And so second visit, within like a span of about three weeks, he was an Omnipod 5. That's amazing. And so we are there. Uh, whenever, yeah. it, at least from my perspective, when the patient is ready, I'm ready to initiate the automated insulin delivery system. That's amazing. What's the timing of the first follow-up after a patient has initiated use of Omnipod 5? When do you prefer to see them back? Are they meeting with an educator first? What does that look like? This is a wonderful question. And I think uh, I want to emphasize to my colleagues who are listening to the podcast here is that we have learned a lot over time that if the patient gets frustrated initially because of various reasons, and if you don't follow that person, that person is not going to use the technology. So the critical time period is that the first week. And so what we do is that we have a great coordination between the provider, the diabetes educators, and the trainers. And sometimes the trainers are within my system or from an industry, but we wanna make sure that everyone is on the same page, same kind of a protocol. Once the patient is trained, after about a day or two, we have a certified diabetes educator to give them a call or a MyChart message to make sure things are fine. And after one week or two weeks, depending on sometimes uh, the patient's and the provider's availability, uh, we want to see them either in a person or a virtual. And now with all these technologies, including Omniport 5, all the data goes in a cloud. Isn't that beautiful? I can just click on a glucose, <laughs> see the data, you know, I don't need to have that person in front of me, you know. It's amazing. And I can do that in 10 minutes, right? So we have become more efficient in that part. But again, our follow-up is that once the patient is trained as a provider, I want to know when this patient is getting trained. That's number one. Number two is that within that first two or three days, one simple phone call that, hey, everything is good setting up a right expectation, tell them that the first port is not going to be the best as you might be thinking, hang in there, right? And then I see after one week, making sure that things are getting better. And then about three to four weeks or sometimes after three months, if everything is great. Uh, that's my protocol. Once the things are better, once the patients understand the technology, then you don't have any problem. Yeah, you know, I, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to ask as follow-up, what kind of conversations are you having about level setting and, and expectation setting? Because I think a lot of our patients put on a medical device and they think, that's it, I don't have to do anything and it's going to be perfect and it's a cure. And I very often say to my patients, look, it's going to be maybe a little bumpy in the beginning. That first pod, just as you said, Dr. Shaw, isn't going to be perfect. We need to give it some time. We need to... Um, we, we need to let the system stretch a little bit. Um, how, do you, how do you give patients that understanding of what the expectations are gonna be going into this? Yeah, and again, as I mentioned earlier, that setting up a right expectation is the key. Because if you tell them that, slap on this device, it's gonna take away your diabetes, that's wrong expectation, right? 
Unfortunately, we are at the stage, it's called as a hybrid closed loop system. It's not a fully automated system. And hybrid means that there is a constant patient involvement. And if that doesn't happen, we cannot expect to have a great outcomes here. So we do talk to the patients that it's not going to cure your diabetes. It's not going to take away everything, you know, all the burdens from you. Mm -hmm. It still does a great bolus, job. Yep, right? still, still have to bolus. bolus. Even with continuous glucose monitoring system, if you think that your symptoms are not matching up with the glucose, do the finger stick, right? Uh, if pump is getting you into the manual or giving you an alert, you acknowledge that part, make sure after five minutes you go back into that part, the nitty-gritty, right, how to do a troubleshooting, nothing is perfect. But if you really describe this part in uh, like an upfront during the process of getting the Omniport 5, training of Omniport 5, it really helps the patient to have a right expectation, a right starting, and if you have a right starting, it's gonna be a good ending. Yeah, perfect. Good words of wisdom. How did you, can you tell some of our listeners, you know, how did you get to where you are in terms of diabetes technology? Like, were you just interested in it? How did you set this up? Because I'm trying to figure out if we can help others set up similar processes in their practice. Yeah, it's, it, this space is a fascinating to me, and I feel like every single day in our lives, we use different form of technologies. Every one of us have a smartwatch here, I can see that. Every one of us use the iPhone. We have an app for airplanes, hotels, right? We have a, like a mobile key. I don't use a, a regular key, I use my mobile phone for a key, right? Why not that in a healthcare system? We learned from all these things that it works, it helps, it makes our life easier, right? The technology's job of the technology is to take away the burden from us and make it more efficient for us. And same thing in a diabetes space is that it makes the diabetes management efficient. It's not going to take care of diabetes, but it's going to make that easier. And so I, I don't know, I think that my philosophy brought me into this kind of a diabetes technology world. And it's working. We have documented that over and over and again. And now I think uh, we are at the stages that we need to push uh, amongst all the educators, nurses, the, you know, the pharmacists, um, my colleagues, and say that it works. Let's use it. So let's talk a little bit about the first pod and a little bit more of level setting and expectations. You and I as clinicians, we all know that, you know, initially at onset of a new system, it's not gonna be as great as two weeks down the road. Um, I know that you know why that is. Can you explain to our listeners why that is and that why the first pod may not be as strong as the pod that the user is gonna wear on day 30? Yeah, no, great question. And thanks for asking the details that I initially said that set up a right expectation because the first pump is not going to be the great. And the reason behind that is that when we are initiating a new technology, like an Omniport 5, automated insulin delivery system, we wanna make sure it's a smooth, it's a safe. And safety first before the efficacy. So the, the first port is really created to make sure that the insulin delivery is conservative, it's a safe to avoid any kind of a hypoglycemia. Also think about that a lot of people are coming from and multiple daily injections to the pump therapy. There are a lot of different kind of a long-acting insulin available. Some of the insulins have a very long half-life, right? So let's say, for example, very long half-life kind of an insulin is gonna stay in the body for more than 48 hours. And so if you have a first port, which is very aggressive, you're gonna have a more hypoglycemia. So I think the first port having been conservative makes sense. The second port is gonna use the total daily dose from the first port, makes it better. After third port, it's gonna have an 
in a statistical term, the average gets better when you have more data. So the first port, second port, third port gets better and better and better. And so that's why I mentioned about that the first pump is, or first port is going to be slightly bumpy in that way. Yeah. Exactly. And just so that our listeners have a little bit more color around this conversation, the first pod is coming up with an adaptive basal rate, but it is not as... Um, what adjective would I use? I don't want to say liberal, but it, it, it's not going to give up to four times the adaptive basal rate, whereas the second and third and ongoing use and ongoing pods will give up to four times the adaptive basal rate. And that adaptive basal rate is calculated with every pod change. So it's a little bit of a, a adaptive um, system so that if a user is gaining weight over time, uh, the system will keep up with that. If they're losing weight over time, the system will also keep up with that. Is that correct, Dr. Shaw? You, you use some of the terminology like about the adaptive basal rates and people do ask what that means. Yeah. Okay, how it calculates, right? What's the math behind that part? And my answer is generally like this, is that we all take aircrafts, you know, airplanes every day. 90% of the work is done automatically. Did we go to the pilot and ask like how this fly, right? It, math works, right? Exactly the same thing here is that Insulet has divided this uh, algorithm, tested uh, many times, um, it works. Exactly. I do have one quick question for you. You did make an interesting point that, you know, we have all these long-acting insulins that have different half-lives, right? When you are starting a patient on Omnipod 5, I'm curious just for my own, my own curiosity. This is not scripted and this is not on our, on our list of questions. Do you commonly tell patients to stop their long-acting insulin the night before? Do you worry if they haven't that we're going to be okay? What's your sense on that? That's a great question. And what we do based on some of the evidences in our own publications is that, so if the patients are using a long-acting insulin, which is about 24-hour lasting insulin, and patient is taking it once a day, and if the patient is taking it in the morning, Remember that we're going to do a training generally in the morning or something. So in that case, I don't tell the patients to stop that insulin. But I tell the patient that come in the morning for a training without taking that day's dose. If the patient is taking it twice a day, some insulins, people prefer to take it twice a day for a better glycemic control. In that case, I tell the patient to skip the night dose, come in the morning, and we'll do the Omnipod training. There are other long-acting insulins that are even longer-lasting. In that case... Everyone has a different protocol. My protocol is I tell the patients to take about a 50% less dose 24 hours prior to the uh, Omnipod 5 training and no insulin on the day that the patient is going to be trained on Omnipod 5. And it helps to reduce or minimize the hypoglycemia. And now we are heading towards the once a weekly insulin that I'm not gonna go into the, <laughs> the, the intricacies of that part, but right. it's gonna be interesting. But I think it's it's also, you know, unique. You did bring up that that first pod is going to be much more conservative in delivering insulin. I find that if I have users who have taken their Traceba the night before or they, for, you know, they forgot to not take the Traceba, that in general, they are okay with that first pod because, again, as long as we can get them right into automated mode, that pod is going to be communicating with the Dexcom G6. The pod will predict where blood glucose will be in 60 minutes and will increase, decrease, or pause every five minutes. And again, because it's not giving up to four times the adaptive basal with the first pod, we're generally in good shape. Right. And, and again, I want to emphasize that when we did the pivotal trial, as an investigators, we were given an option to transition the patients from a multiple daily injections to the pump first and then to the automated. 
or automated first. And at my center, my own, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the clinical trial space, I had every single patient going on automated directly. And why? Because if you're on a manual palm settings, likely that you're going to have more errors. The basal is going to be the manual basal rates, and nothing is perfect in this world. Whatever the basal rate you set is based on either assumption or some calculations. So you're going to have more chances of hypoglycemia. In automated, you are sure that the pump is going to suspend before you're going to have a low. The predictive low glucose suspend aspect of the automated insulin delivery system, remember, these are created for safety first, efficacy second, right? And so the suspension is more powerful than actually increasing more insulin delivery. And so I think having an automated directly makes more sense to me. It works, and that's what I'm doing for a year plus now. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this brings us to the close of this episode of Beyond the Bolus and Real Time Real Talk. We'd like to extend a heartfelt thanks to you, Dr. Shaw, for sharing your expertise and your insights into this partnership between Omnipod 5 and Dexcom and how this dynamic duo is really transforming diabetes care. So thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. And to all our listeners from both podcasts, thank you for tuning in. We hope you found this discussion enlightening and that it will enhance your understanding and use of these innovative technologies. Remember, we're here to support you every step of the way in this journey to improve diabetes care and management. Join us on our next episodes, where we'll continue to explore the evolving landscape of diabetes technology. As always, we welcome your feedback and suggestions. Until then, keep pushing the boundaries of diabetes care. Good night, everybody. Thank you.